All right. Hi, everybody. It's RCFB Talk 80. Welcome. We're so happy to have you joining us. Today, we're going to be having a chat about USC football with Ryan Abram, of owner and publisher of uscfootball.com. And I see he's already joined us, so I'm going to go ahead and let him up. So thanks again for joining us. I just wanted to, before we begin, take a second to think about all of those who are in the way of, of Hurricane Ian. It's not pretty out there. We've all seen the videos. College football is just a sport. We hope all of the people out there are safe and getting out of harm's way. Things can be rebuilt, but lives cannot. So just wanted to, to get that, say that and and mean that, because we know there's a lot of people who are being affected by that. So transitioning from there, we're going to do our best to keep this running. I had, right as this was starting, of course, my entire Wi-Fi network in my house collapsed. So that was awesome. I think something bricked. But luckily, these run off of phones, so we're good to go. Anyways, we are, oh, and I love that we already have somebody representing the podcast of champions who, who wanted to say that. So, Ryan, thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me on. This is my uh, first uh, Twitter spaces. I know my podcast of champion host, David Woods, is kind of mad at me for doing one, but I usually have to do all the work for that show. So I told him this is, you know, someone else is doing the work here. So I'll join, I'll talk, whatever. This is cool. <laughs> love it. And thanks for joining us. And for those of you who may not be familiar, Ryan is the owner and publisher of uscfootball.com. Just a premier site for coverage of the Trojans. It's been around for, for years. He also has a Peristyle podcast, which is more USC-focused, as well as the Podcast of Champions, a podcast dedicated to Pac-12 football and available in more homes than the Pac-12 network. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I saw that line, and I'm like, oh, yeah, no. Anyone who has tried to follow Pac-12 football knows that pain. It is, it is so difficult. The funny thing, uh, George Klyovkov, when we met him for the first time, he was doing a little tour when he first got the job a little over a year ago. And uh, we, so he came to every campus on the Pac-12 footprint, and he came to USC first, and we had met him, and I shook his hand, and he's like, more home, he said that, he said that, more homes in the Pac-12 network, so uh, he, he knew, he knew about our podcast, so that was kind of funny, like Larry Scott would have never said anything, it was funny that uh, George Playoffkoff did. Yeah, I've, I've heard good things, and I feel so sympathetic to the situation, because he didn't create the, the hand he was dealt, you know. And now he's there and, and trying, you know, he's doing the best I'm sure that he can do under the circumstances. And then, you know, and we'll get to that because obviously I want to hear your take on the move to the Big Ten. But it's a difficult position to suddenly be handed, you know. <laughs> it's like you almost can, if it were a comedy, you know, Larry Scott pulls up with this vehicle that's been hit a couple of times or maybe hasn't had been serviced in a while <laughs> and just tosses him the keys like, good luck, buddy. <laughs> So, but, yeah. you know, I want to, before I jump into kind of like a larger picture in the past, look at the past, look at the present, look at the future, I want to more look at just the immediate present. What do you think we learned about this USC program from that clash in Corvallis? Because that was a tight game. And I don't think, you know, when we've been talking about it in our own Twitter spaces with fans from all over the country, as well as quite a few USC fans, I think there was a concern that, USC was going to get into eventually a game where they're in just a massive firefight. Both offenses are, you know, going, and then the defense wouldn't be able to keep USC in in the game. But here, this that was not the game we got in Corvallis. I did not expect that. What was your take on it? Yeah, I didn't expect it either. Um, I think you know this is a flawed team, and I, you know, USC is going to get the better for the doubt. People want 
certain bro- programs and brands to be back, like Texas or USC or whatever. If, it, if it, you know Florida State's down, you're waiting for them to hire the right guy, turn the corner, and then everyone expects them to be national championship contenders again. And I think USC is in that category. Um, the way we saw the offense go, it was been pretty special for the first three games. You know, even the the, the Fresno State game in Game Three looked a little clunky, and they still put up 45 points. So that was that was struggle bus for USC to get over the 40 point mark for the last few years. So to see that, you know, for them to only score 17, not score a touchdown until the fourth quarter after scoring not only their opening drives in the first three games, but their first at least their first three drives they scored touchdowns on, which I don't know if I've seen something like that before. Uh, but, you know, it shows that it's still a flawed team. The roster's not perfect. Uh, that You know, I think Lincoln Riley's done a really good job to turn things around as quickly as they did. They already have as many wins as they did last year, the whole last year. You know, they were 4-8 last year. They're 4-0 right now. But they're not a perfect team. They're not a flawed team. They're not – you could say that they could make the college football playoff, but they're not contending with Georgia or Alabama or Ohio State right now. They could sneak in at number four or something just if they win the Pac-12, but – it's a flawed team. The thing that surprised me was that they were able to come up with the kind of defensive stops that they were, not just the turnovers. And they, they, they're, you know, they're number one in the nation enforcing turnovers, and they haven't turned the ball over this year so far, which is crazy. You know, fourteen turnovers, no turnovers. No, oh, it's absolutely given away. nuts. It's like, yeah, that that fourteen uh, turnover margin is is it's it's incredible. Yeah, you're like I think the next highest is like nine. You, you probably can't sustain that, but they're doing things on defense to force thing, the ball to go up in the air, to force things to happen. Um, and, you know, I, I, you give them credit for that, but I didn't expect them to be able to pick up the stops that they did. Oregon State is a, you know, they can run the football well. I think Chance Nolan's played so much better this year than he did last year. And they got some chunk plays, but there weren't as, the success rate, you know, wasn't as high as it was maybe when they played Stanford and they ran that slow mesh or even against Fresno State. So I was surprised that the defense was able to step up and play as well as they did, but the most shocking thing was definitely how pedestrian Caleb Williams looked, you know, you, you know, he's a sophomore. This is, I mean, this wouldn't even been his first, you know, full year of starting. Um, you know, I think it's his 11th start, you know, it's not even a full year of college football yet. And you expect so much of them. Um, so I'm curious to see how he bounced back against Arizona state, but that was, you know, a little surprising how well the defense played and then kind of how poorly the offense played after what we saw the first three games. It's definitely the kind of game where afterwards you want to see how, Oregon State does as well because you know they went in with even more as bigger unknown you know they were undefeated but they weren't getting the respect that USC was getting at least among pollsters heading into it but now I really want to see how the Beavers do in the rest of the season because they certainly gave their all and part of it's like I'm not sure if it's that Corvallis voodoo whenever USC goes and plays up there and weird things happen or was it you know were the, was USC just having a down day or, or was both were both teams just better than or eat closer to each other than maybe the the rest of the national media had considered but we again we don't know we'll we'll see but i looking it seems more optimistic about usc but you know i want to take a second and by the way for those of you listening ryan's agreed he'd be happy to listen to some of your um questions as well cody i see you i promise we'll get to you in a moment um and but i, I first wanted to kind of just take a step back I wanted to learn about how you got into USC fandom because you obviously you focus a lot on it. What's your background in all of this? Yeah, I'm an East Coast kid and uh, just wanted to get I, – I went to high school in New England and pretty much wanted to get away from the snow and the cold and 
just go somewhere else. Like you can't, you know, every town in New England has its own college. And I just wanted to go somewhere else. And I got a scholarship to USC for engineering. And so I'd never been to the West Coast before. And I moved west and uh, went to USC, got my undergrad and grad school. I mean, grad degree there and worked as an engineer. And I started uscfootball.com like as a, just a hobby. Cause I liked, I liked writing and I liked, uh, you know, I liked the football team and everything. And it just kind of grew into a business. And then, uh, you know, now I started, you know, it started to, to grow. I originally joined rivals.com uh, back in 2001. And uh, yeah, it was, you know, it became a real business. And I was like, holy cow, I, I don't know if I can do both of these. And I eventually quit my engineering job to, to be a full-time you know, journalist that I've never done before. So uh, oh, that's learned incredible. A lot. yeah, I learned a lot along the way. You get like, you know, a lot of the national, I've been lucky enough when USC was good. I was meeting the Bruce Feldman's of the world or, you know, the Stuart Mandel's, Andy Staples, whoever, I, you know, I met, you know, Pete Thamel, like all those guys I kind of met when they were covering USC and became friends with most of them. And, um, you know, I think they've all been good mentors to kind of show me what to do because I wanted to do it the right way, you know, like, hey, I didn't go to journalism school. <laughs> What's going on here? Um, so it's been, it's been a, a really fun ride. I mean, I started doing this full time in 2004. So it's been, oh, what, 18 years or but yeah, that was kind of crazy. And I just kind of, it just kind of grew and grew. And, you know, the last seven or eight years have been sort of just treading water with like the Clay Helton era. And then Lincoln Riley gets hired and things have just like gone gangbusters. So it's been crazy. So it's, a, it's a, you know, you know, it's a weird industry. Um, we're sort of at the whim of, of what happens you know, with these 18, 19 year old kids, what they do on Saturdays. Uh, but it's been, a, it's been a really fun ride. But yeah, my, my journey is a little different than some people that kind of started off in uh you know, journalism school, working for the school newspaper, stuff like that. I didn't do any of that. I was an engineer and uh, started this as a hobby. You know, I, there's so many things I wanted to say after you said that. First of all, all those people you mentioned are really nice. I've had an opportunity also to meet many of those folks covering games, and they're all very kind and collegial. And it, it made me happy to know that when you read the writing and, and, you know, you meet them in person, you're like, okay, you're actually – because I think everyone's been there, you know. Oh, yeah. Um, but how – you know, you said you moved to the East Coast – from the East Coast, just to kind of go to the West Coast, go to USC. How did you become a football fan there? What, what sport were you already? Were you kind of like, oh, this is really awesome. I want to be a part of that. Or did you kind of start going to games and, and like, wow, this is something I'm really into college football. Yeah. You know, like I liked college football, but I wasn't like a huge fan. I didn't know like all the USC history. Like we grew up, I, I lived in like the Pittsburgh area till I was about 11 years old. That was in the seventies. So like, the Pirates won World Series and the Steelers won Super Bowl. So I was a big pro guy. We moved to New England and I never really became like a Patriots fan or a Red Sox fan or anything like that. Um, but when I you know, went to L.A. and I would go to Clippers games because they were like playing the sports arena next to USC. But oh, I, yeah. you know, I followed college football, but I never really like got into it. And I went my first USC game was in 1989. I don't want to date myself, but I just did. Uh, Jeff George was the quarterback for Illinois. They came to the Coliseum. And beat USC 14-13, and uh, Todd Morenovich was the quarterback for that one. But they had, like, Junior Sale on that team and Mark Carrier, a whole bunch of dudes. And, was that uh, supposed to be the Glasnost Bowl? I can't remember. That that comes close to that year where Illinois I don't remember. Because you know what I'm talking yeah. about. Illinois and USC were going to play in Moscow, and it was going to be, like, this big deal. It was going to be thawing international relations before the fall of the Soviet Union. So that's why it was Glasnost. That was, like, the, the yeah. opening of the Soviet Union. And I, it's to me, it's one of my most favorite historical quirks because 
And having worked with, and now it sounds weird given international relations, but which was my major, by the way, at USC. But the, uh, <laughs> you know, it was, you know, but dealing with with people in in Russia is kind of a little weird business wise. They would, and especially under the communist government, which was at the time, they weren't giving straight answers to anybody in TV networks and colleges. So that's why the game got canceled. They were like, uh, oh. we can't guarantee this game is actually going to happen in the stadium. <laughs> they're saying. Because no one's giving us a straight answer, but they didn't realize that's how business is done. Everything that's happens, funny. and at the last second, the you know the pull-up bureau whoever says like just do it, and then you know a bunch of people just make sure it happens, and and everyone's happy, you know. <laughs> but you know the TV networks were like, we can't, we can't just ship all of these this, these people. They were going to be sending, I think. Oh gosh, they're going to be putting you know it was going to be the A-list uh, broadcasters, and then so the game ended up being just played at USC as I recall. And that 89, I think that's the game. I think that was the game that was supposed to be in Moscow. And that's crazy. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it, it was nuts. Oh, it's one of these stories where when I, I was just kind of going down the Wikipedia rabbit hole decades, I was like, God, it's sad to say, but basically like 15 years, about the time you were starting your website, 18 years ago is when I ran into this the first time. And I did some digging and kind of wrote that all up actually on Wikipedia because I'm a nerd. But um, and <laughs> I, I was just like, this is the more I read into it, the more crazy the whole story became. And so anyway, yeah, I, I don't know how we got, I'm glad we got sidetracked on that bit of trivia, but yeah, um, that was just yeah, like so... my first like kind of game. And I remember like drinking some terrible schnapps in my dorm room or whatever, after they lost, they were up 13, nothing and lose, but you know, you just, you, you saw the pageantry, like how people were into it. Like the band was cool. Like people loved the band and all that stuff. It was just like, wow, this is great. And then you still over, you know, when you're in college, it's just, it was a, a cool thing. And I just fell in love with the sport. And uh, that's how kind of, you know, after I graduated and, and was able to create a website just you know, early on the internet, I was an engineer. So we had computers where most everyone didn't have them. In their homes <laughs> that's the how you got uscfootball.com. <laughs> yeah. Literally, like, where did, where did you buy that from? I'm like, I just bought it. Like it was available. <laughs> so, so like, None of that stuff's available now, but it was available back in, I think it was 97 is when I bought that. Yeah. Oh, that's great. So uh, you know how that whole decade went. The 90s weren't that great for USC. It was kind of a difficult, there was a couple of highlight years. And then it sort of ended with John Robinson's Rose Bowl season. And after that, you know, you have a couple of lackluster years. He gets fired with a voicemail by, uh, by Garrett. You get Paul Hackett, which was, you know, at the time, we look back at it with almost like it was how how cute it was that people were horrified that he was fired so quickly by USC. How many years was he in there? Three? Three, three years. It was three yeah, seasons, yeah. which was considered unprecedented at the time. And then you get Pete Carroll, and we know that saga, and I've repeated it many times even on our uh, our spaces about how how hard it was to find a replacement. We did, heck, they almost, they tried to get another Riley, you know, they... <laughs> Because, <laughs> I mean, people get it. it was Mike Bellotti at Oregon. He said no. Dennis Erickson at Oregon State. He said no. Mike Riley with the Chargers, you know, he politely probably said, gee, you know, they're they're paying me to still show up even though I'm probably going to be fired, but I better <laughs> stay, which I don't think worked for you. I see. And then you have Pete Carroll, who's sort of sitting outside Heritage Hall <laughs> looking forlornly and asking to be hired. And his daughter was, you know, on the volleyball team. So um, I thought that was just cute the way that all, I mean, I'm, I'm obviously making that a little bit more storybook than probably the reality of it was. But I, I do remember how you, you remember Plashke's, you know, oh, Pete's for Pete's sake. Why'd you do oh it? Oh, my God. That, uh, that he gets great for that. 
Oh. Every day on my message board that comes up. If Plasky says anything, he could Plasky could cure cancer and someone's going, Yeah, but he thought Pete Carroll would be terrible. You know, like that's like it just happens all the time. It's like, Oh no, 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 no. The one I think the other one was remember uh, LA is a Bruins town. Oh, I think that was yeah. the other one. Oh. That's the one that comes up all the time. Yeah. Oh yeah. So Bill Plasky, for those who aren't aware, he's one of the LA Times sports column. It's very good, but I mean he wrote two articles that that yeah, they they come up quite a bit because they ended up being the ultimate freezing cold takes. Um, yeah. uh, I wasn't there when we when we hosted we hosted the guy who runs that account on on a, a Twitter space a few months ago, and I wasn't here for it, but I would have definitely brought up that one for sure. So you know, there's been obviously a big uptick in interest in the site, and that's great. You know, I heard you say you know from November to. August it was like what a thirty five percent increase in interest in USC football from at least what you've seen. Yeah, it's crazy. Like just you know what they it started with the Lincoln Riley hire like in November. Right? Well, it really in September when they fired Clay Helton, that sort of like got the Hornets buzzing a little bit. Like they were like finally this what they've been waiting for years. But then there was still that negative, that cloud of negativity. Like, well, they're just going to hire somebody late, and they're going to get Jack Del Rio or Jeff Fisher or something like that, right? They're, that's that's what USC fans have been kind of conditioned to. And you know, Mike Bone, Brandon Sauce. Now, basically, only two guys were running the the search at USC: the athletic director and his chief of staff, who's since left for the Detroit Lions. And they pull this one out of nowhere. I didn't talk to anyone that had Lincoln Riley on the radar. And, uh, you know, I don't know how Hail Mary it was. I don't know how fast it came together, but uh, I know this. I mean, this was a, I mean, it was a grant. Like you couldn't do any better than what they did. Once that happened, I think we were telling people, because we would meet with the athletic department people that we, you know, we, we would meet with them before and tell everyone like, these guys are terrible. And we were meeting with these guys. We're like, hey, these guys actually seem like they know what they're doing. They're making good decisions. They're fixing problems. There are many problems that were created. They're fixing a lot of it. And a lot of it was low-hanging fruit. But everyone just wanted to know, when you fly in Clay Hilton, and are you going to get somebody good? And once they did both of those, people were, like, on board. And the same stuff we were doing before got way more attention. Like, our podcast got more listens. Our videos got more views. Everything. And the message boards were crazy. Subscriptions went way up. So just hiring Lincoln Riley was a, a, a huge boom. And then, you know, we'll talk about those later, I guess, but the, you know, joining the big 10, it was like another, like, Holy cow. They're used to USC fans are kind of used to these crazy drop everything surprises, but they're usually bad. And the ones that have come lately <laughs> yes. have been good. You know, they're like, Oh, someone didn't, uh, you know, the coach didn't get drunk and show and swear at a bunch of boosters. Like, no, no, the good things have happened. And yeah, um, yeah <laughs> there, so. there was no apartment being rented or, you know, <laughs> uh, a coach at a party in a random photo where on opposite sides of a large group. And we're going to hold the, we're going to light the entire program on fire based on, you know, very dubious evidence. Yeah. None of that. It was wonderful to have these good surprises. You know, you brought up something interesting there. And as much as I think, I mean, obviously, you had a, a series of ADs who were alumni and successful football players in their own right. You had Garrett, Hayden, Swan. When we got to Swan, I felt like he, I mean, he loves the school. I have no doubt about that. But there were some decisions made. I mean, we're talking low-hanging fruit. That whole, that brief period where the program had scheduled UC Davis, which was kind of, for anyone who follows USC, they've never, they're now going to be the last program to have never played someone who is in on the FCS level, at least when they played, you know, hey, I know. But um, <clears throat> so 
I, it was kind of striking to me that the program started to make decisions and started to turn in a way where I couldn't, you know, as someone who's followed them for so long, I couldn't quite figure out where the direction was. Is that something? So I'm sensing you sense that too, where it was kind of hard to tell who was running the ship and what the goals even were. Yeah, there was this like fiefdom going on and they just kept hiring, you know, figureheads and Pat Hayden, Lynn Swan, like you could debate which was the worst athletic director in USC history. There's no debate that those are the worst two, but which one is worse? It's hard to say. One hired Clay Helton and made him the permanent coach. One gave him a fully guaranteed extension. I mean, Lynn Swan banned the song girls from coming to college basketball games at USC. Like, I mean, they've just made insane decisions where you're like, what, what are you doing? Uh, like, yes, like USC has never scheduled an FCS school. They started, they scheduled UC Davis. And when Mike Bone comes in and, and drops that game and pays a bunch of money to get uh, San Jose State in there, it was just, that was the kind of low hanging fruit I was talking about. But both of those guys, I think there was just, you had these people that had their power. I think they didn't really like the kind of power Pete Carroll had. And it's not like they didn't want to win, but they they were hoping to win, but they wanted to do it like their way. They didn't want to do it with bringing in a powerful coach that would be able to, you know, dictate what goes on. They wanted someone that they could kind of control. And, you know, you had Clay Helton there for so long. So, yeah, it was just – it was bad, you know, bad leadership from the president spot, bad leadership from the athletic director spot for so long. And it was a USC problem. It was this insular thing where they just kept hiring, you know, people that they knew and – instead of bringing someone with outside ideas who would walk into the program, look at everything and go, oh my God, why are you doing that? Change that. That is terrible. I can't believe you're even surviving by doing that. They didn't want that. They didn't want someone from the outside coming in and telling them all the stuff they did wrong. And the problem is college football's changed. You know, like you could win that way with Pete Carroll and like, you know, but now it's a whole new era. And if you weren't gonna you, using new ideas, the way college football is now, you were just going to fall behind. So they needed Mike Bone, Brandon Sosna to come in and really clean house and, 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 you know, make real hires. And that at least gives USC a shot. You know, you got a good head coach, you got good leadership. You're at least now going to be in the national conversation. It's not guaranteed that they're going to be back and playoff bound and championships and all that, but they were going to fall so far behind without that change in leadership. So they desperately needed that because Hayden and Swan back to back, that was, that could have just tanked your athletic department. Absolutely. You know, with that hiring of Lincoln Riley and that move to the Big Ten, is does Bowen just have some kind of stealth magic that you know has not been acknowledged? Because that's two major shockers that shook college football. And I and I it's not I don't think that's a subjective statement. I mean, when Lincoln Riley was hired, I think there was a record skip, you know, freeze frame in all of college football. But then it, they, they one upped it by the earth shattering news that the, the, they and UCLA, and it's clearly USC. I mean, I don't think anyone disagrees that USC was driving that one. The Big Ten wasn't just going to go like, hey, UCLA, do you want to just come on your own? USC was by far the, the more desirable of the two candidates, and then you might as well just lock down all of Los Angeles by bringing both teams. But how, you know, what have you sensed? I mean, and maybe that's, that's not even a good question, because what secrets could he have that he hasn't even revealed yet? <laughs> But I mean, how it's it's astonishing how few people even knew that the as as monumental a move as moving a team from the Pac-12 to the Big Ten. How do you think? I mean, what what have you seen or what have you heard that makes him so made him able to do these things so under the radar? You know, it's it's 
I think that they kept that leadership circle a lot tighter, you know, and, and I'm curious to see where he goes from here because Brandon Sosta is, a, is his younger chief of staff who was, I mean, Mike Bone himself called him the, you know, the architect of the Lincoln Riley hire. And we'll see if he's able to kind of keep that going, but they really kept a tight circle with the two of those guys kind of making all the decisions. And, you know, I give him credit for that. Part of it is, though, like there were so many bad decisions that were made prior that they're going to look pretty good, even if they didn't, if they did an okay job, they would be significantly better than what USC had before. But they were willing to go out and take some chances. You know, they were willing to go out and try to make, you know, swing, swing for the fences, you know, get a home run higher, uh, do a, get, make a big move by leaving the Pac-12 and go to the Big Ten. And I don't know if USC leadership has been able to do that before. They just haven't been willing to make those kind of moves before. So, I'm, you know, I give them a lot of props, but it definitely helped that they had such, you know, the, the poor leadership that kind of preceded them. Absolutely. You know, I wanted to go ahead and mix it up a little bit. Cody, you've been really patient. You've, you've been wanting to ask a question. Join us. Let us know what you're thinking. Hey, can you guys hear me okay? Sure can. Hey, hey, guys. Hey, hey, Ryan, big fan, man. You, you, you're you kill it at your job, bro. I I, I got so much respect for you, man. Um, I hope one day I get to at least shake your hand because you are you're so good at your job, and I appreciate it. And I'm aspiring, trying to be a journalist in the future, so I appreciate your work, really. Um, so I just wanted. Thanks, man. Yeah, of course. Um, <laughs> just a quick thought on that Lincoln Riley, how it was earth shattering. Yeah, I, I remember just seen the Bruce Feldman tweet and I ran into the living room to see my mom and she's like, you're lying. I'm like, no, I'm serious. This is Lincoln Riley is our next head coach. Like that was the most shocking. Like I was not ready for that. <laughs> so um, I, I just had two thoughts uh, on the Oregon state game. Um, I thought the coaching maybe wasn't the best. I thought maybe, I don't know if they underprepared or I, I just wasn't a fan of the coaching, but I, I was really impressed. The players really won that I really think that was the players doing of really just coming together and believing especially after that Caleb push on the fourth down like that wasn't coaching that's just players you know doing their thing and I I loved it I really I really love the 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 trust the team has in the bondage it's I you know I never saw that in the Clay Hilton era Clay Hilton's our head coach we lose probably by 20 Dorian State I mean that's just I think that's just the reality and I had a, uh, what I wanted to ask you on your thoughts on the trenches. Um, my first thoughts on the first three weeks before the Oregon State game, I thought the O-line was really good and the D-line was very mediocre. Now I've kind of changed it. I thought the D-line played really good against Oregon State, but the O-line got manhandled against the Beavers. Uh, I just want to hear your thoughts on that. Thank you. Thanks, Cody. Uh, yeah, that was the Nealon nudge. So Brett Nealon, it was a fourth and sixth play. Caleb Williams scrambles. Looks like he stopped two yards short and, like, Brett Nealon, the center, uh, gives him a little nudge, and he ends up getting the first down, and that was the uh, that was the game, you know, winning turned out to be the game winning drive. I think USC's relied on their players just making plays. Like if you remember the offense last year, it was throw the ball at Jarek London, he's triple covered, and, and let him make a play. And prior to this game, they were scheming guys open. It just seemed the offense flowed, and I would I would agree with you on the offensive side of the ball. Lincoln Riley admitted that they just hadn't coached themselves. They they just weren't coached as well in this game. And Caleb Williams looked rushed all the time. It just wasn't – it didn't look as smooth. It looked just – everything looked rushed. Um, and so you kind of relied on the players to make plays. But I think on the defensive side, 
it's been a schematic thing and they're, you know, they have players buying in. You're trying to get all 11 guys to do the same thing. And, you know, I, I think they've been getting gradually better. So I think you could give the defensive uh, coaching uh, some props, but, you know, when you're talking about guys tuning out, like you have Jordan Addison who won the Bolitnikoff award last year, he catches five touchdowns in the first three games. And he's like targeted like twice or something through the first three quarters of this game. A guy like that could check out, you know, and, um, what I've seen, and it's been different because the team has been built lately, right? I mean, there's so many guys on the team that weren't on the team last year. They were either here like eight, nine months ago, or in like Jordan Addison's case or Eric Gentry's case, who were stars on both sides of the ball just a few months ago. But they felt like a real team. They felt like they've all been bonded together. Jordan Addison makes that, you know, touchdown winning catch at the end of the game where he pretty much did nothing the whole game. And he stayed into it. He, I think you got to give the coaches credit for that, that they have built this culture. They've built this camaraderie and chemistry between a bunch of guys that a lot of people in the country will call mercenaries, but I haven't seen that. This doesn't seem like a bunch of guys that are free agents that are brought in to get theirs for one year. It seems like they've came in and wanted to bond together and play as a team. So I saw that. They won ugly it was not a pretty game uh, on the offensive side of the ball, and they were still able to win. Uh, but I, I would I would give the defensive, you know, coaching a little more credit than the offensive coaching. But the fact that they've Lincoln Riley's built this culture, I think, has been uh, really impressive. You know, I just want to take a, one second and give a quick station ID. You're all listening to RCFB Talk 80. We are here talking USC football with Ryan Abraham, the owner and publisher of USCFootball.com, and the co-host of the Podcast of Champions and the Peristyle podcast covering USC football and, and before that, Pac-12 football as well. Let's see here. Troy, you've been patient. What's what your question? Uh, hello, uh, Ryan, another big fan. Thank you for uh, speaking with all of us. Um, I was just curious if you know anything about, like, what's going on with Corey. I know he didn't really play at all against Oregon State. And it's just interesting. Obviously, he was number one recruit and just, like, what – has been happening with him and kind of where um, you think he might be able to progress or, or get more snaps. Hey, Troy. Thanks. Uh, appreciate it. Um, so he's talking about Corey Foreman, um, the you know, defensive end Russian for USC, former five-star. Uh, <laughs> I think, yeah. Um, a lot of, we get questions about him all the time. Uh, USC had practice today and Alex Grinch, the defensive coordinator said it was about practice. And I think, for Corey, coming in last year, people had high expectations because he was a five-star player. He didn't get to play his senior year. So, you know, the COVID stuff, I think, was real for him. And so he hadn't played for a year and a half or whatever it was. And I think some of it was just kind of getting used to what the college football game would be like. Some We've seen some five-stars just transition to college football, you know, quickly. And other guys take a little time. And I think with this team going from, like, the Clay Hilton culture to the Lincoln-Riley culture – a lot of the guys that left just didn't want to have, you know, they could sort of didn't want the discipline. They didn't want the accountability was going on. They go somewhere else. The guys that stayed really wanted to buy in. And I, I, you know, I don't know exactly what's going on with Corey Foreman, but it has to do with what he's doing at practice. Um, and, you know, Alex Grinch, the defense coordinator, like said that as much. So I feel like at this point, it's like, how hard are you going to work for this? Are you going to, you know, are you going to be frustrated with your role? Or are you going to be frustrated with, you know, the way things are going for you, or you're just going to, you know, put your nose to the grindstone and, and go after it. 
Uh, we don't get to watch uh, practice anymore, unfortunately. We can watch like the first 20 minutes and see what's going on. He was banged up for a bunch of fall camps, so he was delayed a little bit there. And we thought, you know, after the first week uh, where we saw him in the rotation with Romello Height at that spot, um, that he would be getting significant playing time, especially when Romello Height went down with an injury. He's now out for the season with a shoulder injury. Uh, but, you know, ends up being Solomon Bird, the, the Wyoming transfer who comes in and get you know had three sacks through a couple games and just been playing really well, he earns that job. You know I think he earned that from uh, practice. He you know he remembers he only had five snaps in the Rice game and just worked his ass off. And then boom, can I say that by the way? But yeah, you, you know, and he's he's getting a lot of playing time. So I think for Corey, it's more about just forget about what your role is and just work hard in practice and you'll get out there. But it seems like that's what the deal is. It sort of just goes back and forth where one week. The, the consistency isn't there, I think, with Corey Foreman. So that's, I think, the biggest problem. You know, you, you, you reminded me, Brian, of the incident. Because, obviously, Lincoln, he's closed practices before. At Oklahoma, he did that. And then some students from the paper there, the OU Daily, were able to get on top of a nearby building and use binoculars to figure out who the <laughs> starting quarterback was. And that really made him mad. He I, like I think they even went so far as to on some of the buildings that face the practice field, they replaced the glass with like uh, opaque glass. So it was like frosted glass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, that, so there were these pictures, I think that of students arriving at school and they're going to their dorm room. And they're like, what the hell? I can't actually see out my window. I mean, light comes in, but <laughs> <laughs> which I mean, that, I don't know. I mean, and meanwhile, I can't help but think, because, you know, oh, gosh, it's uh, – what are the fields name? It's, it's uh, um, Howard, Howard Jones, Jones Field and, yeah. and, and Brian – Brian uh, Kennedy. Brian Kennedy, yeah. So, I you know, you can see those from Floor Tower. You can see them from Web Tower. I don't know. Maybe they've had to put up <laughs> some kind of really tall nets. I can't even imagine – or fences. But, you know, I still remember that practice back when it was Thunder and Lightning when – Pete Carroll's famous pranks. He had Lendell White pretend to get into an argument with the position coaches over, you know, touches. And so he storms off the field and everyone thinks it's real, except for a handful of people around on the joke. He appears on either Webb or Floor Tower. I can't remember. One of these tall student high rises. I lived in one of them back when I was on campus, like 14 floors. And he's standing like towards the edge of the roof and people are freaking out on the field because they think, what's he doing? And they had staged it so one of the assistant coaches appears behind him. They pretend like they're, they're getting into a, an argument. Then they grab each other, disappear behind the roof ledge. And then a dummy was thrown over the, the <laughs> edge of the building. Like, I still can't believe they did it. I mean, and there's footage of it. I remember back in the day, I can't remember, you know, the shows that they used to have on like Fox Sports West 2. Yeah. <laughs> You know, where they were just doing filler stuff. And I mean, it was such a crazy stunt. But I, I can't help but think of that because that only, in my mind, is a great illustration of how easy it is to see the practice fields at USC. It's not like you can, you know, and don't get me wrong. I know there's sort of a, a detente between the sports media and the places they cover because you still, you know, you don't want to be you know totally rude about it. Although I'm going to guarantee you those, if I'm hiring someone out of a student paper, those kids who decided, you know, we're going to figure it out. <laughs> you know, prove their journalistic chops. But that's interesting that you made that comment about the practices being closed now because you just it, it's such a juxtaposition to what it was like, especially under Pete Carroll, where it was like, hey, everyone come in. 
It's different for sure. And I think for Lincoln Riley, there have been, um, I think there was negotiations going on because Lincoln Riley was like, everything's closed. Players aren't talking. Like Caleb Williams didn't speak until the Alamo Bowl, which was after Lincoln Riley left uh, Oklahoma. We didn't hear from him. And the first, next time we heard from him, you know, officially was Good Morning America. You know, I mean, it's crazy. He's such good. He's so good in front of the media. So I think I'm, I'm going to give Lincoln Riley some credit. Like he's definitely adapted because Los Angeles is a pro market. Like if you shut out the media completely, then all people talk about the Lakers or the Kings or the Dodgers. Or, you know, there's a million other things you can talk about uh, that aren't having to do with USC football. It's not like you're in a college town and this is the only game. This is not the biggest thing in the city of Los Angeles. So I think he's embraced that. I think he's embraced the fact that the media needs to do their job. He still keeps it somewhat limited. Uh, but but it's more than what we thought. Yeah, it's definitely more than what he was doing at Oklahoma. So I think it's a little kind of give and take. But yeah, that that prank back in the Lendell White days, I think that would not go over well today. That would there was definitely not PC, whatever uh, Pete Carroll did there. But that was, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it was that, spectacular though. I still yeah. can't, I don't think anyone can top that. You don't top one of the star running backs on your team jumping off a building just for laughs. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I mean, but and, and I, I'm saying that now, and it's funny. It's one of those things where you tell people now, and you you realize, gosh, that actually does sound kind of crazy and weird. <laughs> now that I'm saying it, but at the time, it was hilarious. Like I, I teach, you know, I teach a class on law, and one time, I was telling students something that happened to me, like in the early '90s in school. And as I was telling the story, one of them stopped me and said, you know, and and told me what it is now, and I'm like, you know, you're right. That was actually horrible. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, if somebody did that to my kid now, I'd be like, no, you know. So, but yeah. So, but anyway, maybe that that's one of those. But at, at that moment, it was funny. You know, Ryan, I have another question for you too because this is something that I know has come up with some of the. I have a couple of USC friends who I told you yeah, I'm going to be talking with Ryan. What would you like me to ask him? One of the questions involved like recruiting because. USC under Riley's had such a big push with transfers this year. You know, obviously Caleb Williams, Jordan Addison, you know, you've got Dye as running back. Does he, is he going to continue putting a lot of weight on getting high profile transfers? Or do you think we're going to see a normalization of skewing towards high school prospects again? Yeah, I think it's going to skew that way. I think when Riley took over, he just looked at the roster and, you know, realize what needed to be done. And if you wanted to try to win a Pac-12 championship, if you want to try to make the playoff, that the roster wasn't going to be there. And they came out of the, the gate, you know, getting a few flips from, you know, guys that were committed to him at Oklahoma. You know, there were Southern California guys getting in the flip to USC. And they got some really good momentum early on. And then it sort of slowed. And I think it came to the point where there was a lot of hype for sure. And people were very excited about Lincoln Riley coming to USC but you needed to see it. You're like, how good is this offense going to be? What's this team going to be like? And so you needed games to kind of happen. But between then, you know, between the time you were going to get to play a game and uh, when, you know, recruiting season kind of ended, you, you needed to add bodies to the roster. And they, you know, he hit the transfer portal really hard and brought a lot of special talent, especially on the offensive side of the ball, you know, game changers, you know, big difference makers all over, you know, all over the place. And, I, I think from what he was talking about, creating a roster like the most unique way you could, uh, like the, the most unique college football roster in history is what he was talking about. And I, I agree with him. And I think you might see more of that. You know, if you get, you know, if, uh, if it's a you know, blue blood program that's been down for a long time and they hire uh, an A-plus coach, 
they're probably going to get a lot of transfers. They're probably going to be very similar to what happened to USC. Uh, and sometimes you see like a, a Lane Kiffin who's been around for a little while doing that and bringing a lot of transfers. But I think in general, he would like to go through the high school ranks. And the way you can do that at a higher level is by winning football games. You know, the fact that they're coming out 4-0, uh, you know, for the first three games or averaging 50 points or whatever it was. I think that's something that will resonate with the high school recruits. They'll probably still backfill, um, you know, any kind of holes you have on the roster with guys from the transfer portal. He's had a lot of success just at the quarterback spot, which, you know, he doesn't need to worry about right now with Caleb Williams being a sophomore. But I feel like they're going, they need, they know they need to build this through uh, the high school ranks just to, to get back to like a nationally prominent team. I think they felt like they needed to, to hit the transfer portal hard, but I don't think they want to do that every year. Uh, it's going to be more of a high school kind of thing, but you're, you're going to have a balance. And I think, you know, we're going to see teams hit the portal hard just because they, whatever the roster plays out weird. We have that big COVID sort of bubble with like a lot of the 2020 and 2021 kids, essentially the same class. When those guys leave, that might be this huge gap, you know, in your roster. So um, I think we'll see in bits and pieces, but for the most part, I think they want to build through the, uh, the high school ranks if they can. You know, you, you brought up and I'm actually kind of curious how do you think Lane Kiffin is – I mean, is what we're seeing now from him, a guy who's having a lot of fun being a head coach at Ole Miss and prior to that at Florida Atlantic, did we get hints of that or did you see hints of that when he was the head coach of USC? Yeah, you know, I think his personality has been pretty – I mean, his hasn't changed that much. I think I met him like one of the first days he got to campus. I think he was like going to be a tight ends coach for Pete Carroll and was hired like – you know, right around like the recruiting, you know, like February signing period and stuff. And I had met him at some kind of recruiting event, something like that. I don't know, way, way back in the day. Um, and it's, you know, it's funny to see, you know, that's just his personality is that um, the trolling, the, you know, the, the, the humor, like all of that's kind of been there. I think he's definitely grown a lot uh, as a coach, as a head coach, you know, going through the Nick Saban rehabilitation program, whatever you want to call it. I think that's helped him a lot, you know, getting, opportunities to be an NFL head coach, college football head coach when you're very young, I mean, you're going to have some growing pains. And I know there's things he would like to have back. We, you know, he did some kind of weird stuff when he was the head coach at, at USC, you got the whole tarmac thing. And the, what I love about Lane is he kind of embraces all of it and he could be self-deprecating and, you know, obviously very funny on social media, which we love, we all love that. So it, it, it's been cool to kind of see his, progression um but you know that a lot of it i think i don't think he's changed all that much as far as personality goes you learn you get more wisdom and and you make better decisions and i think you know you get lane credit for that so i'm, I'm curious to see how you know old miss does how he does like through his coaching career if he ends up going somewhere else or whatever but he's i think he's always just kind of been lane he's just you know he's becoming uh you know he's learning more becoming a better head coach and uh this is something kind of we've seen for a long time and maybe social media in ways has sort of benefited that because I, I think what struck me was you, you didn't hear as much of this in the public from Kiffin when he was the head coach of USC. Then, of course, you know, he vanishes into Nick Saban's system where he doesn't want anybody doing anything um, <laughs> outside of that order. I mean, his whole life. I mean, and, and it's fascinating, too. I'll give, obviously, Nick Saban all the credit in the world. And, and there was a book that came out a few Months ago, we, we interviewed the author and really I was reading sections of it. And it's, it's true. His whole Nick Saban's entire coaching career is based on one thing, recruiting, because then when he knows he brings in the top recruits, he just picks good. He finds good, talented coordinators and they make those players 
do what we see Alabama do year after year. But, you know, I what struck me is I covered Conference USA Media Day on Lane Kiffin's first season as FAU's head coach. And so it was kind of interesting because everyone was sort of like, okay, wow, he's back as a head coach. Let's see how this goes. And it struck – several things struck me. He was so soft-spoken, but not in a way where he's shy. It was just like he talked quietly and had this sort of – this kind of impish sense of humor. And I mean yeah. that in a very positive way. And I, I totally am like, how did I never see this in all those times you were in L.A.? And then, obviously, now it just kind of grew from there. And I think people at first thought he didn't – he wasn't in on the joke because he made that one really awkward, intentionally awkward, like – FAU football like promo like right before that first season <laughs> and then from there it just you realize oh no he's in on it he's totally in on it and then I started to think how crazy must it have been for recruits to have Lane Kiffin and Ed Orgeron walking in at the same time like what was that pitch like you know too extreme I would love to be in a room and be like a high school recruit and have Lane Kiffin and Ed Orgeron and have those two personalities come at me and try and convince me I think I would I would do anything. I mean, I just just imagine those two. I, I, I it just strikes me every time I think about it. And then, anyway, sorry, I kind of got sidetracked there. No, but, no. Uh, I mean, I think it's all about relationships. And you know, it's funny. We had a Lane. I remember Lane Kiffin did a like sort of media off the record come into the office, and I'm going to break down plays for you kind of session one time, and. He's really good in those kind of environments. You know, sometimes with the bigger group, maybe he says the wrong thing or he kind of like his humor doesn't go over as well, but he can be really good at that stuff. And, you know, he was good with those like interpersonal relationships. Orgeron was like, he's like a politician. He could remember everyone. He'll remember your kid, your mom, your dad. Like he'll, he'll you know, he kind of tackles it that way. Lane can like, I think, bond with you when you're like in some sort of situation, you know, breaking down the play on a whiteboard or whatever. And uh, so, you know, different aspects to how they're, why they're good recruiters. But I think they work, they obviously work well together too. But they're, you know, I think they came from uh, different, different approaches, but they were both very effective in what they were doing. Absolutely. Now, I want to talk about the Big Ten, because obviously that's a huge factor that's upcoming. Where do you think USC is going to stack up heading into the Big Ten? Well, they needed, I mean, they needed the hire that they got right now with Lincoln Riley. And um, I think that's going to, you know, put them in the conversation. I, I, I mean, Ohio State's the class of the conference. We saw Michigan breakthrough last year. Um, but I feel like USC is going to be able to, to compete. Um, you know, it's going to be tough. I, I think it's not going to be, you know, it's going to be, you know, week to week. It might be, you know, a little more difficult. You're, there's going to be different kind of crazy road trips. USC, you know, the Pac-12 has some crazy road trips. Um, you know, just USC went to Corvallis last weekend. That's a, that's a pretty weird one. Uh, but there'll be some, you know, some different weird ones, I think, in the Big Ten. Now, USC's got a great record against the Big Ten. A lot of that's in the Rose Bowl and other aspects of it. So I think they're going to be, you know, okay. I think for UCLA, they, they definitely need to, I think, you're going to have to step things up with Chip Kelly and see kind of where they go from here. But, I, you know, I, I like kind of where USC's at. And depending on what they do this year and then next year, the last two years in the Pac-12, I would think, you know, they're – going to make the championship in each year or, you know, be pretty close to it and be com- kind of competing there. And then maybe by year three in the Lincoln Riley era, you're hopefully a, a team that you, you feel you've built up that could be uh, a playoff contender, you know, and if you are, then you're going to probably do pretty well uh, in the big 10, you know, who knows? I mean, we, 
it's you know long flights we know like in the nfl when like seattle goes to the giants or you know the rams have to go to play cleveland like it usually doesn't go as well for the west coast teams for whatever reason travel that way so maybe that affects <laughs> usc i'm not sure but i feel like the way they're building their program you know two years in the pac-12 under lincoln riley setting yourself up for you know trying to be you, you know you want to be competitive you don't have to win the big 10 every year you're not probably not going to do that at all uh, but I think if you're like competing for it and you're up there and people are speaking about you in the same breath as like an Ohio state and a Michigan, I think you're going to be doing okay. So I, I think they'll be all right, but still a couple years away. So I just, they, they really have to kind of take care of their business in the PAC 12 and get kind of built like, like kind of like a springboard going into the big 10. And if they do that, they do well in the big 10 and the PAC 12, the next two years, I think they'll be okay. Uh, that year three in the big 10. And yeah. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm out here in Minneapolis now, so I have to ask you: Are you ready to come here in November for a game? Eventually, you know, come out here, get some of that. You know, it was there was frost on the ground this morning already. You know, oh, and it, no. it, you know, are you ready for that? <laughs> I've been out here for years, sure. man. I, I did my undergrad at USC and my grad school here at Minnesota, and my buddy. Uh, <laughs> Tom, he was actually, he did the reverse. You know, we, we always ping questions about both teams to each other, but are you ready to come out here? I think so. My, one of my best friends from college, from USC, was uh, from Minnesota. So I remember going, like, for Thanksgiving to his house, and there would be, like, dead deer hanging in the garage from his, you know, his brother going out hunting, and um, yeah, two feet of snow I, I can't say I see November. that in the city a lot, to be fair. <laughs> um, <laughs> although I do get deer in my yard. I've never been tempted to shoot them, but, uh, but I mean, I'd probably hit my neighbor's house. Is probably why. But yeah, absolutely. You know, and I mean, you're from, I mean, you grew up near Pittsburgh. You grew up in New England. It won't be that crazy for you. I'm sure you the teams but... will be fine, too. I mean, I think sometimes folks from other areas don't remember that Colorado and Washington State are in the conference in Utah. I mean, those are places that get cold and snow. Yeah. I still remember that famous game where it, when Ed Orgeron was the head coach for that interim section where he kind of showed up at Colorado in just like a shirt while it was snowing. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the USC drum major had like a pelt on him, which was hilarious. It was a pelt. It wasn't a jacket. He seriously was in the full, you know, Trojan. He's if, if those of you who who may not be familiar, that's the member of the USC band that's totally decked out in US, pardon me, in Trojan armor and you know plunges the sword in the field and all that stuff. So he was wearing straight up what looked like some random fur pelt. I'm sure they got it off of some costume shop or something. But yeah, you know, Lane, there is cool. Lane Kiffin did that once at an Oregon game when they were you know they were recruiting basketball. Oregon. He dressed it like a beanie and just looked. He looked like he was gonna go skiing and he was oh, basically yeah, showing recruits like, by the way. That. It's really freaking cold here. You should probably come to Los Angeles. Like, that's essentially what he was saying. So that's kind of funny. <laughs> well, people forget the Rose Parade was originally, the Rose Bowl was just a offshoot of the Rose Parade. And all the Tournament of Roses was about was taking pictures of roses on, like, back in those days, wagons in the dead of, like, what, New Year's Day. Send those pictures in the newspapers all over the East Coast, all over the Midwest, and all these people who are freezing to death are seeing these pictures of flowers <laughs> in Pasadena. And they're like, why am I living here? Because it, it was like, you know, at the turn of the century, L.A., you know, for those who don't know, in 1880, when USC was founded, you, you, Los Angeles had 20,000 people. It was like this area, it didn't boom until roughly World War One. So they were trying to get people to move out there. And then. The Sugar Bowl gets the same idea. It's all the warm other places. The Orange Bowl, like, come move down to these places. Come do tourism in these places. 
you know? So yeah, exactly. It's all part of that. It's all, you know, come, come out to, come out to the sunny West coast, you know, we got occasional <laughs> earthquakes. Sure. Fires. Sure. We got those, but it's warm too. So <laughs> yeah, I think every year, like the, you know, the population goes up if, you know, the, if the Rose bowl has good weather, you know, like the Rose parade of like more people move to Southern California when they see like that beautiful Rose parade. They're like, why am I here in the cold? Oh, let's move. You know, realistically, heading into eventually into the Big Ten, besides the travel factor, what do you think are going to be the bigger concerns just for USC as a program? You know, it's going to be interesting because they do like scheduling, you know, big out-of-conference games. I'm curious to see what the schedule is going to be like because they play Notre Dame every year. If Notre Dame ends up joining the conference, that would help because that would then end up being a conference game. But, like, their first year in 2024, like, they're playing LSU to start the season in Las Vegas. They got uh, Notre Dame and then whatever the Big Ten schedule is going to be. Like, that's not going to be an easy first go, you know. So I'm curious to see what it's going to be and if if they're going to schedule Minnesota in mid-November, uh, you, know, at, you know, in Minneapolis. Or are they going to say, hey – the Minnesota players and coaches would rather play in Southern California later in the season. USC does that with Notre Dame already. When they come to Los Angeles, it's November. When USC goes to South Bend, it's October. Are they going to do a little bit more of that where USC and UCLA play more home games in November because it helps them. They don't have to go back to the cold and it helps some of the Midwestern teams that they can go someplace warm. You know, I don't know. I mean, are they going to play it like that? I'm, the schedule to me is going to be how they work it out is going to be curious. And even, you know, the Olympic sports aspect of it, like what, you know, what is that going to be? But, you know, we're focused on football. I think they can do some things that would benefit everybody. You know, it's not just like, you know, it, it's a benefit if Minnesota gets to come to LA in November versus, you know, playing a home game then. And, you know, so I don't know, I don't know what they're going to do, but there's, there's some, some, I think there's some good options and, Maybe we're seeing the sort of pause of college football expansion with, you know, now that we have the playoffs being expanded and all that. I'm not, you know, I'm not convinced it's going to end, but maybe it does. Uh, but if they, you know, I think they're going to have some time to kind of settle this in. They got this new big TV deal and all that. They can probably do some fun stuff, some cool stuff, maybe some out of the box stuff. Uh, and I'm curious to kind of see what they come up with because it's, it's definitely going to be different, you know, with two LA schools and like all these other schools that are, Midwest, East Coast kind of things, trying to, you know, make those all work and make something that a system that works for everybody. I agree with you that the expanded playoff definitely has cooled the what seems to be the push to expand at all costs, because now you don't necessarily feel that need to fight for four spots. LB 12, which at least by all accounts should be a little bit more reasonable. We'll see again as who knows. The, the wheels may already be in motion that we're not seeing. And, and one team is, you know, the knife fight between the Pac-12 and the Big 12 has yet to be played. <laughs> it's just like, you know, yeah. I'm just waiting for someone like you know, your marker <laughs> showing up and like, there can be only one. And, <laughs> you know, and suddenly there's, boom, you know, the, the four corner schools, you know, ditch <laughs> appear over there. Who knows? Gosh, you know, one of the, just the, as, as we wrap up here, I just want to ask you, what, what's got you excited about USC football right now heading into the season? Because we're in the middle of the doldrums a bit in, in any part of the season. By about week five, week, week four, week five, week six, people are in the kind of – it's like the middle of the story. 
You know, we had the excitement of the first few weeks, and then everyone's going to be really excited again in November and December. We always see that with our traffic. Like, that's when it spikes. But now we're in kind of the middle part of the, of the picture of the, you know, very USC, right? The middle part of the, of the, of the story. How, what's got you excited heading forward? You know, it's, we have to learn from history a lot of times. When we look at a team and we see – we watch week one and we're like make all these assumptions about how the whole season is going to go. Okay, that team could go undefeated. or and like, and It never goes that way, you know. And I, maybe for the first three weeks we kind of felt that we knew – that this USC offense was like this unstoppable juggernaut. And then they're not, you know, they, they play against Oregon state and it's not, you know, it's like a more, they look mortal. Um, and I'm curious to see how this team sort of develops going forward. If they pop and they can get a whole bunch of like 45 point games mixed in with some thirties or whatever, and maybe another like 17 point game that they have to try to eke out a win at the end and how the defense plays. I, it's 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 not like I don't want to make any kind of like declarations like, oh, this is the way this team's going to be. But you see the kind of potential and it's a bunch of college kid level, you know, college age kids. Sometimes they're going to be up, sometimes they're going to be down. It's hard to say. But I feel like when you're going, look at what the leadership's like, look at what the coaching is like. And they're going to they're going to give you the most kind of consistent looks throughout the season. And I've been pretty impressed with what Lincoln Riley and Alex Grant and all those guys have sort of been able to do knowing it's a flawed team, flawed roster, all that kind of stuff, but they're, they're, they're fighting and they've won some different ways where they just blitzkrieg you right away and just kind of cruise to the finish with the lead versus they didn't have a lead until, you know, whatever minute 20 or something left in the Oregon state game. Um, you know, and that was a whole different kind of story and they were still able to win that one. So just seeing how this team can kind of, figure out ways to win, you know, I'm sure they're going to score a bunch of points against like Arizona state, Colorado, stuff like that. But you know, when they go to Utah, how do they play? Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm you know, honestly curious, like just what this team kind of has to hold. I, I don't want to like make any declarations. Cause I, every time I do that every year, you're like, okay, it's completely different from week four to week eight to the end of the season. You think it's like a whole different team, but um, know, that's not a really straight answer, but I, I'm kind of just curious to see how this team develops. You know, especially leading up to the next two weeks when they go to Utah. That'll that'll be the big one you should circle and, and kind of watch that one. Definitely. Well, Ryan, I want to give you an opportunity before we wrap up here to tell us those of those those of the our you know listeners out there who may not be familiar, where can they find your work? What's where do they where can they listen to you? Where can they read what you write? Give us the pitch. Oh, thanks. Thanks for having me on. This is awesome. This is my first uh, Twitter spaces. Um, but yeah, you can, I mean, follow me on inside Troy, but, uh, com is the website. Like we talked about earlier, I created it back in 1996, just as a hobby. And it's been kind of growing ever since we're part of the 247 sports network and, uh, do a bunch of podcasts. We do live videos every week on our YouTube channel. And, um, I do a Pac-12 podcast with David Woods, uh, podcast of champions. So at least we're covering Pac-12 for now. I don't know what we're going to do in the future, but it's been a lot of fun. And, <laughs> Uh, but it's great. I love I love your feed. I, I miss the uh, the wordle um, of what's going. You know the wordle of uh, the, the college football wordles were kind of fun when there'd be some obscure oh, thing. Oh, thank you. Those were I didn't even know what Those it was. Yeah. Headache to keep up. Oh my gosh! Like every morning, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure. like, I gotta. Think, I would literally like, I, okay, I gotta do the wordle. Now I gotta do the extra hard one, which is the college football one. And half the time, I'd just be sitting there like, I don't know what this is. Cause, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'll, I'll admit, because I, I had to get it out every morning. There would be points where I'm like, 
I would literally pull out the sheet of possible words that we had like, (laughs) and like, and even then I'd be looking at him like, what word is this? How, you know, (laughs) how are they going to get it? Yeah. And yeah, then when exactly. you started doing yeah, the Twitter was, spaces, and then because I would look for the pinned one, then you were pinning the Twitter spaces. I'm like, oh crap, I got to go find the Wordle now. So like, you know, I was I was looking every day. So it was good. Well, it's running in legacy mode because we ran out of words, so now it's like repeating. So if someone were to find CFB Wordle, uh, CFB Ordle, or how we did it, you know, uh, <laughs> it'll still work for that. But man, that's that, thank you. That's kind. I mean, you have no idea. Like that was like one of the silliest things we've ever. Done. It was literally like a whim. We have the because you know the group of people that work on our site. We have some people who are engineers and and programmers as well, and especially software programmers. I literally just one day said, "What would happen if we tried to do one where we just came up with five letter words from college football?" And the guy chugged it out in like an hour, and I'm like, "Oh my wow. gosh! Well, okay, let's run with this." Yeah. So my my only thing I did was suggest we do it and say instead of green boxes, let's do footballs. Like that was that. That Perfect, is the yeah. entirety of my executive production <laughs> of that. I'm not going to claim anything else. I just, you got to get their attention. You got to be pizzazz, you know? <laughs> That's but, awesome. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for joining us. This is great. We'd love to have you back sometime. And, and you know, you, you, as I said, and I'm going to just share this with the audience. When we first announced on Reddit that we were going to be hosting this, uh, so many USC fans were just so, you know, so they were giving such kind words about, oh, wow, you're having Ryan. That's great. I love USCfootball.com. You know, I love the podcast, both the uh, the podcast of champions for Pac-12 football and the Peristyle podcast for, you know, so many people wrote, hello, Trojan. You know, <laughs> we had a lot of people write that. And with all the extra letters, you know, give, can you give us one of those? Just give us one. Not that you're like a robot, but we give us one for our audience. Oh, so this is how I introduced, I don't even know how I started doing this, but with, for, I, we, we started the Parasol Podcast in 2008, which is crazy, mostly because like LA sports, I would do like uh, sports radio across the country and it was hard to get on LA radio because it was all professional. So we started a podcast and I started every show with, oh, Trojan fans. So that's what I do. Love it. Thank you for, uh, <laughs> thank you for indulging us on that. It reminds sure. me of- Gosh, there was a, I can't remember what even what media day it was, but I, you know, players are a little harder to sometimes talk to because they're not always, you know, they're not being, you're not going to college on a football scholarship because you're, you, you mastered elocution. So, but this one guy, <laughs> I noticed he spoke like three languages. So I kind of was like, Hey, do you mind? Like, I just want to record you saying why we should follow. Like, I can't remember what program it was. It was Mountain West something. So it was like Colorado state, you know, and, and, you know, <laughs> So he, he, he was game for it. I'm like, I know you're not a robot. I just, uh, <laughs> could you, you know, dance for me, you know, like, or something like that. But, uh, <laughs> but he did it and it was, it was awesome because he spoke like French, some Polynesian dialect, German and English. And part of me is like, you know, if football doesn't work out for you, seriously, man, you have like a successful career in something, the fact that you can do that. But <laughs> anyway, it was a pleasure, Ryan. Thank you for joining us. Of course. Thanks for having me on. It was an honor. So thanks to all of you who joined us. This is a fun space with Ryan Abram of uscfootball.com talking USC on RCFB Talk 80. My name's Bob Akairi. Thank you all for joining us. Now, I'm going to hang up and listen.